0: hello everybody and welcome to another episode of urban legends and conspiracies so i'm recording this episode at the beginning of march and i have here today a bay imperial stout with cherry coca and vanilla and this stuff is amazing it tastes like i'm biting into a bar of dark chocolate i don't know how these brewers do it at land grant but it is awesome it has this valentine's day theme on the label so i think it's leftover from when i was buying booze around valentine's day (laughs) And that's not a post-divorce depression joke. I just happened to have been grocery shopping around that time and spotted this delicious beer. But I digress. So the combination of it being March, which is National Women's History Month, and this beer made me think of something that actually happened in women's history around this time that is the subject of our episode that has spawned several urban legends and myths in our American folklore This event being the infamous Salem Witch Trials of 1692. Now, most of us kind of know the basic story of the Salem Witch Trials. In 1692, this slave named Tituba, along with some other girls, and some social outcasts that lived in and around the village of Salem were accused of being witches. This led to... A series of accusations and trials which led to the hanging of 19 people, 14 women, and 5 men, plus the death of Giles Corey, who was pressed to death under a board and heavy stones after refusing to give a plea of guilty or not guilty. At the peak of this madness, up to 200 people were accused and caught up in this frenzy. It is said to be the deadliest witch hunt which ever took place in the history of colonial America. And it's kind of the last great hurrah of these witch trials that swept across Europe in the 17th century before dying out during the Age of Enlightenment which would come in the subsequent century. So that's basically the gist of the whole story. That's the story that everybody knows, at least. And we can get into the details of who accused who and why they accused this person of this and all that fun stuff. But you can actually look that up in the real history. I mean, Wikipedia has, like, an article on it that's so long I can't even get all the way through it. And while I could just repeat the same story we've heard a thousand times... Along with repeating some of the same old tired myths that came out of it. I feel that that's kind of derivative and boring. And since this delicious alcohol is taking effect and I just noticed that it is 8% alcohol by volume. And I am almost through this can already because it is so good. And I'm already starting to feel a little tipsy. So I'm going to kind of do something old school season one style and just continue pounding this beer. And... Just kind of riffing on what I think about the Salem Witch Trials, how they came about, how they impacted our culture, and how it really influenced how we view that culture today and don't worry i am gonna discuss some of the more supernatural things around that because i mean that's the point of the show right we talk about the supernatural so naturally i'm gonna hit those topics but for now let's do like we always do and start at the beginning so we really need some context to start out with so we do have to start with a little history lesson so for those who don't know going back to king henry viii and the subsequent century after that England and most of Europe was pretty ripe with political instability. And a lot of this political instability came from the Protestant movement. And then all the little churches and subsects and stuff that kind of broke off of that movement. They were all kind of infighting while the Catholic Church was trying to keep control. And then you had these Catholic kings and these Protestant kings and blah, blah, blah. And you get these extremist sects. And the Puritans who we speak of in Salem at the time, they're actually one of these extremist sects of this new movement, this new religious movement, this Protestant... Protestant, You know what I'm saying. Protestants. And one of the reasons why we find them in Massachusetts at the time was because Massachusetts was kind of the fringes of the world, you know? You had the backcountry, and then you had the New World, which was, like, if you think of, like, rural Hicktown, this is, like, middle of nowhere rural Hicktown. It's on the fringes. You gotta remember, at this time, Europe, in their mind, is the center of the world. So to be far away in some colony, to be kind of removed from... The infighting, the wars, the religious persecution, all this stuff. You know, these people were out in the middle of nowhere. And that's kind of where this mindset comes in. And while witch trials had begun to fade out across much of Europe by the mid-17th century... They continued on the fringes of Europe, which includes the American colonies. And these events in 1692, 1693, they're kind of a a continuation of that practice. It's like, you know, somebody in an extremely rural area practicing some old school technique or some kind of old school mindset while the whole world has passed them by. And these people, they kind of have this old school, early 17th century mindset where there are still demons out there and you have to do this or the demon's going to get you and there are witches and the witches are in league with the devil and all this crazy stuff. They're practicing it in their day-to-day lives. Meanwhile, the world's moving on into like the Age of Enlightenment and blah, blah, blah. But they're not privy to that because that's happening in Europe at the time, about 50 years before it hits the Americas, so that's why we kind of see this as the last great hurrah of these witch trials, and while after that you don't really see any more of that old school dark age thinking... And while, yes, this is the early modern period, we're pretty far removed from the Dark Ages. However, that mindset's still there. And that's kind of the best way I can describe that mindset, is kind of a Dark Age mindset. As opposed to the early modern era, the Age of Enlightenment, blah blah blah. And as opposed to the modern era, where religion doesn't really mean anything, it doesn't really dictate how we live our lives they live their entire lives by their religion like these people's entire mindset their entire indoctrination in life was based upon their religion so naturally that's going to influence their actions their laws pretty much every aspect of their lives and more importantly it's going to affect how they interpret things that they're seeing in their day-to-day lives which explains some of the more supernatural aspects we see from the histories of these trials. I mean, you had stories of girls getting attacked while they're lying in bed by supernatural forces that they can't see. You have them thrashing around on the courtroom floor from hallucinations or, you know, visions that they're seeing of these witches attacking them. They're sticking needles in their hands for some reason, you know, And a lot of this stuff today, it might be seen to us as maybe this person's having some kind of fit or an epileptic seizure. Maybe this person's having some kind of mental breakdown. However, back then, without that knowledge, that scientific knowledge, that medical knowledge, through their mindset, they're just going to see this as some kind of demonic supernatural attack which strangely brings us to lsd and while no this isn't another mk ultra episode and no i'm not extremely drunk here's the thing these people living in this colony were farmers and they were growing wheat well wheat contains a fungus sometimes called ergot ergot is basically the primary fungus which can be synthesized into lsd And if you eat some of this tainted wheat via bread, and we have to remember that this is pre-industrial age, so bread is one of your main staples in life, especially if you're a farmer, you're going to probably trip balls (laughs) if you ingest some of this ergot in your bread. Now, given the context of the time, while you're tripping balls, you're probably not always going to have a good trip. And with your mindset, with it being a very religious mindset, yeah, you're going to interpret that as some kind of demonic attack or a witch attacking you or something crazy like that. Um, A lot of scientists today actually think that a lot of these fits and visions that these girls were seeing were the result of ergot poisoning from ingesting tainted bread now however that is just a theory we don't have any way to prove that they ingested this ergot tainted bread and started tripping balls but when you really think about it it kind of makes sense if you have a fungus that can be somewhat hallucinogenic and then you have these girls saying that they're having visions you know two and two usually makes four right but what do i know i'm just a guy sitting at a microphone drinking beer you know there are witches out there in the world and they are capable of doing some crazy stuff that even I myself can't really explain and it's not just like little magic tricks you know their religion or various religions or beliefs you know it's not really codified into one thing but there are witches that can do some stuff that i can't explain in this world maybe they existed at this time maybe they were in the village of salem we don't really know however we do know of some lingering aspects of this trial and it actually comes from giles Corey, who you know he wouldn't plead either way whether or not he was a witch but he did curse salem village upon his death and it is said that After his death, his apparition will appear and walk around the area where he was buried each time a disaster is about to strike the city. It is said that the night before the Great Salem Fire of 1914, he actually appeared and was seen walking around the area where his grave may be. There is also a curse of Giles Corey which affects the sheriffs of Essex County In which, since his death, all the holders of that office either died or resigned as a result of heart or blood ailments. Um, It was said to have been broken when they actually moved the sheriff's office from Salem to Middletown in 1991. And it's kind of funny, you have this guy who basically told the law to go stuff it. And then after his death, the enforcers of that law... All seem to end up dying or retiring from this same mysterious circumstance. Like, of course, naturally out of that, there's gonna be a curse associated with that. And who's to say that he didn't invoke that curse? I mean, word curses are a thing in this world. And word curses kind of come from that idea that you can't take back what you said once you've said it. And historically, there is believed to be some weight to that if I, for example, said that I cursed so-and-so in all of their future endeavors. I hope they fail. And then everything they attempted eventually failed. I mean, who's to say that there wasn't a curse invoked because I uttered those words? It's kind of where the idea or superstition around word curses come from. But I digress. Of course, in the end, the reason why Giles Corey didn't plead anything in the first place was because he was protecting his property from being seized by the local government. If you were accused guilty of being a witch you could have your property seized and lose everything and he was a prominent landowner in the area so it just made sense and yeah we're getting back into the whole political thing however you gotta remember this is pre-america this is the colonies and there wasn't really separation of church and state yet separation of church and state didn't really come around until the middle of the 18th century however this is one of the last times where we really see this idea of spectral evidence showing up in the courts i mean there are other times too but they're kind of outliers however this is that last great hurrah like i've said the whole thing was kind of the last great hurrah of this witch trial mindset and this whole phenomenon which was going on in the 16th century right before the age of enlightenment really kicks off and i think i just said 16th century i meant 17th century but that kind of brings us to the overall legacy of the trials themselves and what these trials represent it represents the end of an era and The end of a mindset that was seen as culturally backwards even in its time. It represents the end of the early modern era and the beginning of the Enlightenment. And here in America, it's really used as a cautionary tale about the dangers of isolation, religious extremism, false accusations, lapses in due process many historians consider the lasting effects of the trials to have been highly influential in the history of the United States. It's actually um, George Lincoln Burr, who's a historian. He states, in quote, the Salem witchcraft was the rock on which theocracy shattered. It was really the last dying gasp of this era, of this mindset before we enter a whole new era and a whole new mindset in our evolution as a species really however that last gasp came at the expense of 20 lives including 14 young women who were just trying to make it in this world now while that may pale in comparison to the thousands who lost their lives across europe in these same witch trials It does remain significant in our history here in the United States as both a lesson and somewhat of an embarrassment. That embarrassment mostly coming from a broken archaic legal system based on beliefs and dogma that have no place in our courts whatsoever. However, it does try to rear its ugly head every once in a while, but again, I digress. But overall, Salem stands as a memorial to the harsh lessons we must learn as humans as we evolve and progress. And while it's always fun to talk about the witches and the devil and all the supernatural events around it, like the theory, or I guess it's more of a hypothesis, that... This whole thing was orchestrated to kill so many women by the actual witches in the village who were secretly running the trials. I think that was actually the basis of a television series. And while it does bring in tons of tourism and cash to that area today, we should never forget the real history surrounding this place and the influence it's had on our history as a nation. But let's not end on a dark note. Let's remember that this story has it all it has witches corrupt politicians uh, murder chicks tripping on lsd or an early form of it a guy who basically tells the law to go screw itself and then in the afterlife he just has this curse that's just basically screwing with law enforcement sign of a true anarchist in my opinion i mean you shoot all that on an iphone and send it into asylum and they probably turn it into an awesome movie and if you don't know what asylum films is just go to youtube and type that in they create some of the greatest b-horror movies i've ever seen and this story as tragic as it is in real life has all the evidence of an awesome b-horror film and i would totally watch that film and as I said before, I didn't just want to rehash the same old Salem Witch Trials story. We all know it. And I didn't want to do a disservice to those people that did tragically lose their lives. However, I did want to approach it from a different angle and just kind of riff on it from like what I thought about the whole idea of the Salem Witch Trials and from my background in like history, anthropology, archaeology, all that fun stuff. I kind of wanted to approach it from a more broad scope than all the fine details that we usually hone in on and kind of approach it from a fresh perspective. But I'm rambling now, so I will wrap it up. I thank you for listening, and let me know what you think about the Salem Witch Trials, if you have any original perspectives on it, too. I would love to hear any feedback about that. And as always, catch us every Tuesday for 5-Minute Mythologies and every other Thursday for Urban Legends and Conspiracies.